Avengers, assemble. In the wake of Endgame, some were lost, others regained. They're good. What happens next? Stay tuned, true believers, as we try to find out. Peter Melnick. Graphic designer, comic book enthusiast, and podcast pontificator. And I'm Eddie Wilson. Upstate New York radio announcer in the Sullivan Catskills with an inordinate amount of catching up in his own comic book universe. Ready? It's time for a new episode of The Marvelists. Hello, this is Tom Brevoort, and you are listening to The Marvelists with Peter Melnick and Eddie Wilson. Welcome, everyone, to The Marvelists, the Marvel Universe podcast. I'm Peter Melnick. And I'm Eddie Wilson. And before we get into the usual rigmarole of today's episode and introducing our very special guest interviewee slash guest co-host, I would say, kind of. Yeah, you do. Yeah. We want to tell you all at home I can get a hold of us on social media. This is going to be about 45 minutes probably, but Stop it. I digress. You can find us on Twitter, Instagram, and the Facebook machine at... The Marvelists. You can also find us individually. I'm on Facebook at Peter Melnick Podcaster and on Twitter and Instagram at Peter Melnick. Nice. And the only place in the whole wide world, all over the mountains and everything, on social media, you can find him on Instagram at... Eddie9193. Also... You can find us on a wide variety of streaming and audio platforms. You can find us on Stitcher Radio, TuneIn Radio, Podbean. What else do we got on there? We got SoundCloud. SoundCloud. We got, though, the most important one, iTunes, where be sure to rate, review, subscribe, and five-star if you're ever so inclined. And again, Eddie's favorite part of all of this. Four stars and below is just like the ice cream machine at McDonald's. It, hey, how dare you? It does not work. So remember, keep it five stars. How many hat meals have you earned from all that stuff? None, and they des- I, You really, you know. There was that one little uh, COD happy collect on demand. They had a happy meal thing recently of all like the retro toys. It was pretty cool. It they didn't had, make you happy. Well, no, because I Cheryl didn't, Crow. missed out. On, oh, can't wow. be that. Can't be that bad. Mm-hmm. There we go. Set the tone. <laughs> yeah, clearly. Loke. Let me clear my throat. Wait, hey, I don't know where I'm rambling now, okay. but. Eddie, doesn't, doesn't take much. We've got how dare you? We got a special guest in the studio today. Yes, not Eddie? even on the phone. Even better than that. Go ahead. You do the honor. You set it up. Well, so I, you get you I'll get the. I'll set it up. Uh, you knock it down. Are we shooting hoops here? Well, if you want, I did watch college basketball for the first time yesterday. You give the accolades. I can give the ty- the name. How about that? So we are joined with the executive editor of Marvel Comics. He is Tom Brevoort. Did I, get, did I get it right? Yes. Whew, I heard how you said it beforehand. <laughs> so, like, and I got to be good. honest that's with you, a, Tom. That's a radio trick. That's good. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, yeah. With my eyes closed, even. <laughs> Thank goodness it's not a visual medium. Although in some cases, the in-studio monitors are terrible. Um, I've seen you, t- I think I've seen you mostly on Facebook. Uh, not uh, when we did get to tour the Marvel Studios last uh, summer. Uh, and most of the time, I remember seeing your name at... And during the time, now maybe you can answer a pet peeve question of mine right off the bat. When the comic book company decided to put on the bottom of the comic books, oh, not no. not just names of writers and artists and stuff like that. And that's where I think I first saw your name. But but on that red bar, whatever color it had to be, the, the issue number. Why 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 down there? I knew you were going to do. I this. mean, like 2011, 2014. That's a sore spot with me because for filing purposes, it sucks. It's terrible. Well, uh, sorry, we didn't do it for filing purposes. We did it. For, no, we did it for selling purposes. <sighs> Damn, it's all about the money, of course. I thought it was, you know, more artwork, so let's let's space it, let's change it up a little bit, make people think it's. Di- I don't know. There's certainly that. It's, it's, okay. It's 
uh, you know, a, a different trade dress for a different period of time. Oof, and it was. Anyway, when I really do the filing, it'll it'll really, you know, I'll, Just I'll put turn some... them upside down. It's no, not that hard. They still I, fit in the box. I'm that's, in agreement. That's my thing with, with the, the, the opening on the plastic bag. But what if it's a six or a nine? Then it becomes, you know, it changes the number. That is, you know. I got to get more labels, little sticky labels, and put them up top and say, this is four, five, six. Okay. Anyway, I'm, I somehow I knew you were going to bring yes. that up. It's there's one of two topics, and the other one, I'm finally gonna... got some kind of good answer though. I didn't, you know, it was just always out there in theory, and never. This is practical. I love this. Thank you. I'm going to ask this. You were involved with a lot of editing for certain series. One of the big ones was Civil War, and Civil War holds a very special spot for both Eddie and myself. Because my... you you fight all the time. Well, huh. so, well, you would is, think so. He is Captain Ed America, and. I once had star. Uh, I once had Tony star boy Fisher or something. Here. How <laughs> dare you! But what we, <laughs> what we who? Anyway, your introduction back into comics was Civil War. My back intro- into yes. Mm-hmm. And my introduction was when the series had come out after, like a few years afterwards. I'm a big fan of Mark Miller. Millar. You actually, how do you pronounce that? Technically, it's Miller, but we all call it Millar. I, okay, so, so it is Miller. It sounds though. more extravagant, Millar. We like yeah. that. Yeah. Yeah. But working on that, that must have been one of the big deals for yourself, especially because of the fact that you have all of this information before the whole world knows it. What is it like doing that? Um, honestly, to me, it's a day at the office. I've been doing it a long time, mm. and you know, I'm always focused on what the next book is. So, uh, you know, it was a book. We had to put it out. It ran late. There was a lot of, of controversy and agita. But uh, eventually it all came out and everything was fine. People seemed to like it. Uh, and then on to the next thing. So after that, you know, whatever, Secret Invasion or Siege or whatever the next bit was. Yeah. What is a, a long time and what happened, you know, your backstory to get up to this point? My backstory. What, you, what you've been doing. Yeah, we, we need your origin your story. secret oranges. Yeah. Orange. Um, <laughs> <laughs> We're all fruit, you know what they say. Mm-hmm. All right. I was uh, an illustration major at the University of Delaware. Mm-hmm. And I interned at Marvel, did an internship in the summer of 1989. And by the end of 1989, I was on staff as an assistant editor, and I've been there ever since. Nice. Very nice. And I'm sure in some cases it doesn't go that seemingly easily for people who want to get go in that direction, correct? Well, uh, you know, people have come in through internships since then, but uh, not as many. Okay. So it's not a, it's not a super easy thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's not necessarily a one-stop shop to get into out of the yeah, floor. Yeah, that's what I was thinking. You had to maybe go other places, get more experience, or if there was an opening, so right place, right time, maybe yes. in your case. Definitely in your case, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I heard yeah. a similar radio story with one major, Pat St. John, if that name sounds familiar, mm-hmm. um, from college to in the city where he was, Detroit, and from there to New York. And the rest is history, right? as they say. Or maybe well, the, just me. The trick isn't getting in. The trick is staying in. Yes, yes, yes. That's yes. only part of it. Yeah, exactly. And in regards also to that, at the same time when you were working on Civil War, you were also doing the editing on titles like New Avengers. And every few years you see a crop of new talent. You end up having the Brian Michael Bendises of the world, and then you end up getting the... like I'm trying to figure out... Like the Matt Fractions. And you Like it's different waves, I've noticed. Ed Brubaker... And then now the current crop of talent, you have the Chip Zdarskys, the Donny Cates, the Ryan Stegmans. Who else do we got? We got... Um, Dan Slott. Al Ewing. Well, I, I consider Slott a part of like the wave right before, but he's maintained since mm-hmm. then. I like that. Okay. But 
when you see these talents, these waves come along, what is it like seeing that? You're like working and seeing their style evolve, especially. Well, uh, sure. But again, that's, it's, it's a different thing for me because it's all about the, the work. So right. it's all, what script do I need? Is that script any good? What needs to be adjusted? What conversation will I have with whoever it is, new or old? Uh, and will it work out and will people dig it? Um, you know, so it doesn't, uh, you know, I don't tend to sit back and go, wow, what a great bunch of guys. Um, you know, in the abstract, yes, because everybody we're working with is a great bunch of guys. But, you know, on a day-to-day basis, it's just making the books. And in some cases, I mean, well, part of that, of course, is your is your time frame, your time schedule. Um I'm thinking what would be, if you can recall stories of uh, how, how quick a turnover time did you have from, here's the idea, we got to get it to this in this number of weeks, or what seemed to take a really long time to put out, whether you can or can't mention a name or, or, or a title. Let's go, maybe right. we'll go with a story, a title, a comic book title. Well, I don't, know if, I don't know if I can do a title, but, uh, you know, tightest, tightest times... Um, I'm doing a story for the this year's new comic book day right now. Okay. Um, a 10-page story. It'll be in free comic book day. It'll be out in May, but we have to send it to print pretty much on Monday. Um, and we really only started working on it actively about a week and a half ago. Mm-hmm. So uh, we'll we'll uh, we'll make it. It's all together, and I'll go into the office on Tuesday, and you know, final, tighten the final bolts, and we'll send it off. All right. So when you say Monday, as in a day from today when we're recording, meaning, yeah. meaning yeah. February eighteenth, sixteenth, Eddie. I'm sorry. Make it seventeenth, which is Washington's <laughs> President's Day. Okay, four free comic book day, first Saturday in May for the last sixteen plus years. Right. But uh, does it matter that well, it's it's only ten pages. You know, you started a week and a half ago, no problem. Or it doesn't matter if it's 10 pages or 32 pages. I don't know. Well, every page uh, takes a little longer to do. Somebody has to physically draw that page, whether on a board or on a, a tablet or, or whatnot. Mm. Every page, you know, the bigger a book is, the more complicated it is, the, the harder it is to get done. And the more people involved, the more complicated it is, the harder it is to get done. So maybe what I'm asking then is because you started just a week and a half ago, it's it's 10 pages. It's not as – you're not as under the gun kind of thing. No, that this is this is an extreme case. I would not – uh, advocate to anybody to to do comics this in this fashion. Yeah, <laughs> this is not the the ideal schedule. This is not the way it's really meant to be done. It's the way that sometimes it can be yeah. done uh, if something has to you know falls the right way and has to be jiggered together at the right speed. So, what do you figure? Uh, give yourself for all all hands involved like a month's time to do justice, whatever it might be, title-wise? Well, well uh, you know, there's two ways to, to look at this. Thing thing one is most comics come out monthly, which means theoretically you've only got 30 days to get the next one done. Yep. Um, but these days, most artists take between five and seven weeks to draw a book. And it turns out that that's more than 30 days mm. in each case. Um, so you're constantly jockeying and balancing the schedules of all those people and yeah. figuring out who has to drop in where and how those Jenga pieces fall together so sure. that you can get a book out every month. And everybody, I guess, may work somewhat differently. That is not necessarily working every single day. They're taking time off or parts of days off, uh, whether it's at home, coming into the office, that kind of thing. Well, almost everybody that's working on books is working uh, on a freelance basis. They're scattered around the world and who knows what they're doing. Theoretically, you know, they're working. And as long as I get what I need, mm-hmm. uh, you know, from them at the agreed upon deadlines, 
doesn't really matter to me if they've done all 20 pages in one day or if they've spent four months on it as long as they can hit the deadline that we need. Um, so everybody's a little different there. I don't know that anybody is per se, uh, uh, you know, skipping around and just dilettanting through their, their career, but uh, some people are better at sitting down and focusing at a board mm-hmm. or, or at a, a laptop or whatnot than other people are. When, when you started, like you said, with your interning uh, back to 89, did you know at that point where you wanted to go with this or what area? I'm, I'm, hope, I'm guessing maybe you were shown different venues in this field. Well, I came, uh, in, I came in, like I say, as an intern in 89. I interned in, across three editorial offices. And as I mentioned, I had been an illustration student, so I had an art background, uh, and I'd always wanted to do comics and be in comics. Uh, and I found that my skill set was particularly well-suited for editing, for being on staff. I like having a 9 to 5 or uh, a, a ridiculous, you know, 8 to 7.30 mm. uh, a day uh, gig. Um, and I, I like uh, being able to put all the pieces together in a, a certain way. Uh, and I'm I'm good at it. So it was a sort of a natural fit once I was there to go, okay, that's kind of the right thing for me to do. So I almost want to think as a tongue-in-cheek question, how big, how large size puzzle did you ever put together? A thousand pieces, <laughs> 1,500? It just led me off the track on that. I'm sorry. Now, in regards to comics in general, your fandom, you know, you love comics. What was your introduction to the medium? Um, the first comic I ever bought, or was ever bought for me, really, was uh, Superman 268. <gasps> the Distinguished Competition. In 1973 nice. uh, at a 7-Eleven. At a uh, my, my dad was a, uh, a chain smoker. He'd go through you know, a couple of cartons of cigarettes every week, so we would make frequent stops at the 7-Eleven near our home in Long Island. And one day... Uh, for whatever reason, the comic book spinner rack, which usually was back with the magazines and stuff, uh, for that day, I don't know if they were cleaning or whatnot, but it was up right near the front door. And so I ended up, as he was in line waiting to pay for his smokes, uh, looking at the spinner rack, and my dad was like, oh, do you want a, you want a comic? And I said, yeah, sure. I, you know, I'll, I'll, you know, you want to offer me just about anything, I'm going to take it. Uh, and so I pulled this issue of Superman, and it's a completely forgettable issue. Uh, not terribly noteworthy, apart from the fact that he teamed up with Batgirl for the first time, um, and that was that was it. I started reading comics at that point, semi regularly, and then more regularly. Did you have like a favorite kind of character growing up? Then uh, my favorite uh, hero growing up was the Flash. The Flash. Yeah, mm-hmm. I think about the second comic, second or third comic I bought, I, or or got really in those days, was a hundred page, super spectacular uh, uh, Flash reprint book. For a whopping 50 or 60 cents, I think. 50, 50 cents. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's, a, that's a lot quarters. of content. Yeah. And in regards to, you know, just this whole element, you know, you bring up the spinner rack, by the way. That's, it's such a romanticized kind of thing now, you know, when you look back on it. Like, they're like items that people are collecting actively. Like, they need one for their collection. I'm surprised, mm-hmm. Eddie, you don't have one. Oh, people, oh, just individual consumers are collecting a spinner rack? Yeah. Yeah. Wow. And I have two. The comic shop okay. by us, uh, Main Street Comics in Middletown, yeah. New York, they ended up incorporating the spinner rack again. Yeah, they have two of them now, I think. And mm-hmm. it's so neat. At least. They, they utilize it for the uh, dollar book. So, you know, whenever there's the yeah. dollar reprints from Marvel, um, DC. Right. Shout out also to uh, Joker's Child in Fairlow, New Jersey, who has at least one of the, a couple of those. 
and uh, for the dollar books actually that are that have been coming out now more that's that's a that's a thing I'm going to possibly ask about as well is the whole true believers the whole dollar comic thing um and you know he loves them how he that really comes that's good them. stuff <laughs> and no I'm I'm also hearing that they you know if you wanted to go back without collecting a compendium of stuff whether it's something that's essentials or the DC version of it you can pick up random issues that are in color that are laminated like they are nowadays, not like the you know, which of course years ago with the pa- with the yellowing of the paper and stuff as they age, um, and and it'd be reasonable to get folks into into comics you know nowadays and stuff. But as far as the spinner rack thing goes, for myself, I always thought it was too easy to um, get them messed up. The comics, sure, sure, if they weren't bagged and boarded, you could just bend them on the corners too way too easily, and, and uh, they get overstuffed. In some cases, when I remember the uh, the the candy store in the Bronx. That's where I first started with my comic books off the spinner rack, exactly. And they were about 30, 35 cents at the time. Right. Mine was the trading post in Rock Hill, New York, when I ah. used to have a spinner rack there. Yeah, there okay. a lot of Archie and uh, Harvey books. Yeah, exactly. My wife even has about two, three dozen of Archie titles that we still we still have. And with Eddie bringing up the True Believers, I'm partial to the facsimile editions. I think it's such a great concept. and. It can be a little bit pricier, but to be honest, there's that quality. You end up getting all like the right. the retro feel to it. The well, ads. it's not like it's it's particularly any more pricey than like a new issue. Yeah, it's, yeah. It's, it's like you're buying the book new, so it's not it's not a buck, but you, you got to pay for those you old what? vintage ads and bullpen pages. And... To speak exactly. to both of those points, you know what? They're yeah, the same price as the current comic book, like say three ninety nine, and I think it's pretty much across the board that been that price, which whatever facsimile edition is unless going it's for like an annual, but. Okay, right. Yeah, but big. the only pricey thing I consider is that well, originally it was forty cents, but you know you're not going to pay Sir, for a facsimile. Right decent. here, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's right. So yeah, that was the UK price or something now, like if that. You've, if you've if you've got your time machine and you want to warm it up and go back and pay the forty cents, nobody's going to argue with you. <laughs> Other, otherwise, it's going to be three ninety nine, sir. I'm going to hang out with a little white dog with glasses. We're going to see what happens. <laughs> <laughs> We're going to go on adventures. Oh my. Okay, fine. But what I, again, what I love about the facsimiles is also, as you know, as a graphic designer, I love seeing the evolution of the ads. And mm-hmm. I'm partial. I've always, like, I never got the facsimile one because I have the real deal. But every time I see that New Mutants 98 and I turn to the back and I see that Punisher ad for the <laughs> NES, it's so great. The neon day glow colors, yep. just amazing. Well, you know, with, with regard to the different looking comics and that kind of stuff, the, I forget what you call it, hologram-ish type thing that was. I missed that. It was a phase. I don't know if it was a year, if, if it was that long. Um, it was a couple of years. Any any thoughts on you know concept and what the intent was and uh, how you feel it's taken off or not? Well, that was that was the thing that just kind of uh, grew out of control. Like the yeah. first couple of those, uh, they did the Hulk cover with the fluorescent green ink, and they did the glow in the dark Ghost Rider cover, and uh, I think the the first of the actual shiny ones was a was Silver Surfer fifty, which had a shiny Silver Surfer. Right, and those were all kind of cool and additive and and neat, uh, and and you know once that uh, uh, you know gold mine had been struck, suddenly there was a push to do more of them and to do a lot of them, and you know to the point where we were doing two, three, four every month, uh, and there isn't enough technology, there isn't enough stuff to do that's actually relevant to your books, and uh, you know all, all it's doing is adding cost without really adding value, and that's the place where the 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 teeter-totter swings the other way and oh. it's, a, it's a problem. I was going to make a holographic Night Thrasher joke and then I realized number one was a holographic cover with a little uh, logo. <laughs> so, <laughs> Well, I honestly, you know, I looked at some titles and I said, okay, yeah, fine, you know what, I'm not going to go there kind of thing. And I don't even know if, how much that affected the uh, 
cover price? What were they all going for about the same price if you bought that edition or No, it I mean anytime you had any sort of enhancement on the cover, the cover price shot up, mm-hmm. which is the whole point of doing it that you actually made a better we actually made a better margin on a on a uh, an enhanced cover. Do you recall what cover. the cover price on some of those were selling for or are selling? I mean, I think at the time, uh, you know, the, the regular your regular cover price was between a buck and a buck and a quarter. Uh, oh, and- no, I'm sorry. I meant just the more recent times with the whole cover being that the material. Le- the lenticular ones. Lenticular, especially. that's what I'm thinking I of. Really, I okay. really enjoyed those. Okay, yeah, we did the, We did a bunch of those a few years ago. Yep. Um, the homages. Yeah, the, the homages, which didn't work out as well. The, the mm-hmm. technology didn't work quite so great. But the, the one or two that we did after that, the, the uh, Avengers uh, weekly one and... One or two of the others turned out nice. Um, yeah, I don't remember exactly what our cover price difference was. I think on those we may have even just eaten the difference. Oh, so they were going for three ninety nine or something? Yeah, I, okay. again, I'd have to go back and check. Don't, yeah, yeah. don't quote me on that, but uh, I, I think uh, I think on those, you know, we did it promotionally rather than uh, you know for any additional benefit. Somebody listening to the podcast will know and, and let us know, please. Yep. Yeah, send just, us a strongly worded email. Just the a little uh, at gmail dot com. Exact mundo. That's right. Because we want to know. We ask the questions we want to know. We want to know. I know. It was a Tom Petty reference. It, like, wow, it sure did because you're it? definitely not, um, no. I'm not blonde either. No, or deceased. I didn't even know I was sick. Mm, had to work that in. Okay, so. <laughs> yeah, sure did. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Oh, just pull another one out. Yeah. Okay, sure, sure. Um, Tom, we appreciate, we'll tell you again at the end, mm-hmm. appreciate the time coming in to, to do this. This is really a great a great treat to have. And you have now, like I think you said earlier, it pretty much maybe it was that way from how many however many years you're in this position, a regular not you know schedule. So other I was going to say other things that you find yourself involved in doing or coming up that you can divulge. That's a broad question. Yeah, well, you know, be as vague as you want here. It's, you it's know, okay. I mean, I I I edit somewhere in the neighborhood of a dozen books a month. Mm. Um, you know, including bigger stuff like coming up now. We have uh, so I had the preview sitting over by the side of the the deck over there. Uh, you know, we're working on Empire, so Empire's coming up in. So how in, does that end? Hey, look what I just picked up <laughs> yesterday. The free. This is an amazing thing, by the way. The the um, monthly preview, which is over a hundred pages long, uh, thick and everything like that. It feels like it's a five ninety nine book or something normally, right. but it's you know it's to get you to draw you in. As far as uh, new stuff that's coming out, and I'm like, wait a minute, do I want to go with this? Oh, I think I got to check this out. Or yeah, right. exactly. Like I think currently, um, the the Iron Man 2020 is the thing, and now it's going to be. Yep. I think I think I saw Iron Age. Yeah, that's going to be coming. And so, where does it go from there? Yeah, you, know, you just got to keep. Now that all the children know. are growing up, uh, <laughs> Alan Parsons Project. There we go. Which again was a type of hovercraft. A hovercraft. Okay. But in regards to a lot of the stuff, like just in general with your fandom, though. What are some of the things that got you into comics, like favorite storylines, especially? Um, again, well, uh, you know, my favorite uh, run is the Stanley Jack Kirby Fantastic Four. Mm. Oh. So, you know, I encou- I started encountering those mostly as reprints in the in the seventies in Marvel's Greatest Comics and places yeah. like that. Mm-hmm. Um, but I was, you know, I was in the bag for for comics by that point. Uh, you know, long long before. Uh, and it sort of determined that I wanted to to do this. Um, so uh, uh, you know, I, I've been on that trajectory since uh, uh, you know, virtually since I started reading. So in the bag in a good way, not in a inebriated kind of sense. No, no. Okay. The funniest, okay. <laughs> the funniest thing is with the F four. I've noticed, especially the Stan and Jack run. The FF. Stop it. Well, I, I want to go with F four. I want to acknowledge <laughs> the number four. 
It's like Battleship F4. Okay, well, then, fine. Then, then we have the Future Foundation, Eddie. Yes. Well, so that's why I'm saying the four. <laughs> there we go. Shout out to Jonathan Hickman. But no, Johnny. With in regards to you know the true believers with the Stan and Jack run, it's all like every single issue of that run is so important. Like almost everything in that run, the uh, I think 102 issues, 102 issues, 102 issues has been reprinted essentially as like you know a one and done or like it's that important of an issue. It's kind of crazy that they wrote that story for so long. And almost everything was of major importance. Well, yeah, it's a it's a it's a huge uh, and and uh, uh, completely influential. Right, you know, pretty much everything that that we do, everything Marvel does, stems in some way from that run. And it's awesome again, you know, with the Dan Slott run going on right now, how important those characters are to the overall Marvel mm-hmm. universe. So, I think speaking of the man, we should definitely transition into this and and talk a little bit about what you'd like to uh, regarding Stan and your experience encounters with. Conversations, anything. Well, I worked with Stan a bunch of times over the years. He, the very last story he did for Marvel, he did for me. Um, and it was also his first story. Um, a couple of years ago for Marvel's 75th, we did an anniversary book. Um, and uh, at the time, I had this idea that the very first thing that Stan had ever had published in a comic was this little two-page text story of, of Captain America from Captain America Comics number 3. Mm. Uh, and it was just, you know, they, they did them in those days because you had to have two pages of actual text in order to qualify for second-class mailing postage. Oh, jeez. Wow. So okay. You, you couldn't send out subscription copies or whatnot unless you had that. That's why all comics had two pages of text. Um, and for the longest time, once you got to the 60s, that was the letters page. But mm. before that, it, they'd be these little stories that literally nobody on earth would read. <laughs> but they were, ju- they were just there to, to, to check the box and to make sure that you could... Stan's uh, story is probably the one that people have read the most then. At this point, quite possibly. Yeah. So anyway, I got this idea of taking that story and turning it into an actual like eight, eight or ten page uh, uh, you know, comic book story. Uh, and you know, I lined Bruce Tim up to do that, and Bruce you know, drew the whole thing out, and then Stan came back in and dialogued it from his original uh, text thing, and that was like a nice, fun thing. And that ended up being the last actual story he did for Marvel. And that's on uh, Marvel Unlimited, right? It should be, yes. I'm going to check that out. I, I actually never knew Bruce Tim was involved with that. Because I know he was involved with uh, Fantastic Four, the world's greatest comic magazine. Yeah. and Yeah, he did Avengers one and a half for me years yes. ago wow. as well. That I've been trying to track down for years now, and mm-hmm. I can never find it at uh, cons. <laughs> so. I, well, I would think with good reason. I don't think I even heard of one and a half. Well, now you have. That's exactly right. I've yeah. been enlightened. I like this. Yeah, the early oh. issues of Avengers, the first month or two of Avengers, it was a bi-monthly book. So the, what we what we did was we went okay if there had been an issue, after in between one and two, okay that would have come out you know in that month what we what would have been in it and that's the story we see did. they were doing that long long time ago I mean I know that there have been other uh, storylines like let's say in uh, Spider Man run it's a one point five one point six and is it not a renew your vows thing but it was something along those lines that happened concurrently sort of kind of with that that was uh, what learning to crawl learning to yes crawl was, there you go mm-hmm. yeah. Yes, I'm good. This is just rolling off top, and I'm glad. I'm just I'm struggling, especially with the newer stuff. And again, it's got those great Alex Ross covers. So yeah, yeah, yep, that definitely helps. Exactly. And when you're also bringing, I miss the uh, the point one issues. To be honest, I know Eddie doesn't like them for his cataloging purposes. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah we 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 covered the location of the issue number on the cover uh, uh, earlier in the in the podcast. I'm well aware. Uh, 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 of the strong feelings. The location is one thing. The designation was another. So, yeah, I, <laughs> you know what? I got the point one when it first came out. That thick, whatever. Yeah, and yep. I'm like, okay, Why'd the fine. lights turn off and then on. Uh, yeah, I'm gonna clapper. 
But in regards to just the point ones, I w- like that was my part of my reintroduction into Marvel because in 2011, got back into the comic shop in Oswego, New York, yada, yada, yada. And just the whole element of that, it was just such a wonderful little thing. And it's very helpful for like beginners because it can be like a daunting task when you see like when when there was the legacy renumbering. Right. And seeing like, oh, I have to read 697 issues of this. <laughs> So it's it can be that like and I I know there's the grievance online of why are you renumbering? Who cares? Just it's do it's it. yeah. Again, you know, this is one of those issues that people feel very strongly about, no matter where they happen to sit on the on the spectrum on it, mm. uh, and you'll never convince anybody of any any differently. Um, certainly, uh, there are people that like their their sequential high numbers. Yeah, uh, and and you know from a from a, a nostalgic point of view i totally get that you know i i relate to it i understand it but uh you know those those numbers were broken that that sequence was broken around 1995 1996 yeah. it's now you know 20 25 years later it's yeah. it's there's no going back to it at least not permanently exactly and and you're right like one of the things that we try to do as often as we can is find ways to make what we do inviting to new people uh, you know, because it can be daunting to walk into a comic shop and just be overwhelmed by this explosion of colors and books and whatnot. And where do I start? And yeah. how do I start? And theoretically, if we do our job right, you should be able to start just about anywhere, except it's hard to get people to understand that or accept that. Like, it sounds good, but in the same sort of way that nobody starts a TV series now with episode eight. I'm time a... <laughs> time was you used to because that was whatever was on broadcast and... You know, whatever ha- episode you happen to catch, you'd go, oh, okay, I like this show, I'll watch the show. But, you know, now everything's available on streaming or, or uh, on demand, then you start with the first one, always. And it's kind of funny now with, you know, when you bring that up with, you know, starting a television series, you can't, you have to start from the beginning now. It didn't, it wasn't like that for so yes. long. Like episodes were, you know, self-contained. I'm going through Star Trek for the first time. I'm actually, I'm flip-flopping between TOS and TNG, mm-hmm. which is kind of cool, by the way. You watch TNG and you see something happen on there. You're like, oh, that was cool. Five episodes later on TOS, you're like, <laughs> oh, that's where that came from. That's cool. <laughs> so you see that, but it's self-contained. Whereas, you know, like, hey, I want to watch The Wire tonight. Let's, uh, I've never seen it before. Oh, it's on right now. Oh, season four, episode five. I'll give it a shot. You, you really can't because <laughs> yeah. you have to, you know, know everything that goes on. And even like nowadays sitcoms are like that too, which is kind of interesting to see where you can watch it, but you won't know everything that had happened beforehand, you know? Yeah, I kind of get that. And that's no, the end of my the, rambling. No, no, it's a valid point in a different in a different medium. So, but it's good that you can just drop into a comic more or less and just pick up where it's happening, and you, you don't have to get too too crazed with. Uh, although I know some people who say, "Well, now that I read that, I have to go back and get what happened before this and stuff." Right. And then I'm in a little I don't a little like spot to, like that. I don't like to argue with those people. I yeah. think that that's a good that's a good way of living your life. Yeah, that's good, and with, with the wherewithal and resources to uh, be able to. To do that stuff, yeah. And in regards to, you know, being an editor, you also have to deal with one issue, which there are people who are very passionate about this, and that's continuity. Mm-hmm. What is the most, inter- like, I would say intense reaction you've gotten to, like, an issue with continuity from a fan base? It's hard It's hard to, again, you put me on the spot like this, I can never remember a specific instance. I, I can certainly remember instances when the fan base was upset about something or didn't like something. Mm. Um, the, the, the one in terms of continuity stuff from a couple of years ago that I remember uh, people being upset about is we 
we did an FF story uh, in which we flash back to the early days of Reed and Sue. And, uh, you know, it touched on a story that uh, another creator had done many years earlier. And in that earlier story, uh, Sue is, and I can only describe it this way, ickily young. Oh, uh, and, oh. and, and, okay. and, and so we sort of decided that maybe she was not quite as young as uh, had previously been reported. Uh, and we got, a, we got a, a certain amount of blowback from a certain, you know, percentage of the audience who were, you know, who had read that book when it originally came out, who were invested in that run, and who were like, how, how dare you change this? You know, why are you yeah. mucking? The artistic endeavor. And, and, but, but again, sometimes that's just a necessary yeah. thing. You know, the, 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 the primary one of those, you know, in terms of the FF is in the really early issues, both Reed and Ben are described as being World War II vets. And hmm. there's no way in 2020 they are old enough to be World War II vets. So you just, <laughs> Not with that attitude, mister. <laughs> <laughs> so you just, you know, you stop talking about it after a while. You mm. know, there's a Marvel, Marvel time is one of these confusing things that most people, particularly outside of the company, don't think about too much. Uh, and that we think about way too often uh, because, uh, you know, essentially, you know, we have a big chunk of time that we're dragging around behind these characters that involve all the adventures that they've been on. Yeah. But if you stop and stare at it, you know, it, it, it creates really weird stuff. Um, you know, Captain America is a good example. Cap was unfrozen, you know, in Avengers 4 in 1964. Um, but Cap is, you know, maybe, maybe in his 30s now. And has maybe been running around in the Marvel Universe uh, you know, unthawed for 12, 13 years. So 12, 13 years ago, it's like 2006. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and it's, it's kind of difficult to imagine the idea, oh, Cap was thought out after 9-11. You know, like it, it doesn't, uh, it doesn't, it doesn't compute to people. Yeah, no, I hadn't even entertained that thought. But Cap- yeah. on Captain America, though, I did think of Secret Empire and Captain America saying "Hail Hydra." Yeah, yeah, that was the other big thing that, that oh, ran boy. through my mind in terms of a thing. But that wasn't so much a continuity uh, issue for people; that was another issue for people. That was dropping you into into a cold water <laughs> or kind of thing, a wake up call or, or just a splash in the face. Yeah. But on the topic of cold water and ice, when you really think about it, the Captain America story of him being frozen in a block of ice is so perfect because of the fact you end up having it can be done anytime you do a retcon he will always still have that world war ii origin yes you will never lose that flip side though you have a character like the punisher where frank castle has his roots seated in vietnam so it's a little like rough where yeah and but but i would argue uh and and it's a it's a it's necessity arguing uh that the punisher has his roots in being in a military conflict. Yeah. That it doesn't that, have to be Vietnam. Certainly Vietnam sp- speaks to a very specific thing, uh, and that is relevant to Frank Castle, and it's one of the reasons why, for a much longer period of time than it actually really works, uh, you know, we've, we've maintained that. But it's it's going to get to a point where it doesn't work. Um, you know, the, the other one that's, that's sort of problematic, and, you know, we kind of wave our hands and go, eh, mutant, it's fine. Is, <laughs> I feel sorry for you guys with the X-Men continuity, is, by the way. Is Magneto as a as a concentration camp survivor. Yeah. You know, he he's, this is a man who's 120 years old now. Yeah. Um, just, you know, it, it's not his fault. He just lived a long time and a lot of time has gone on since that re- revelation. He did become a baby. Yes, but he became, so. a, he became a baby after he fought the X-Men. Yep. So within the last 12 years or so. You can become a baby again. <laughs> <laughs> it's possible. 
It's in his genes. It's it's it's, it's half life if he has one or <laughs> quarter or something. But it's also interesting because you'll see certain characters that have their backstory. And it's, again, related to at the time, you know, you have like Dazzler with the whole disco phase. And then, you know, you can change it to this, change it to this, just, you know, right. the evolution of music. That's why I'm excited for Dubstep Dazzler one day. That, that'll be <laughs> magical. But just, yeah. Yeesh. I'm okay. <laughs> uh, <laughs> microphone. Sorry, was in the way. Uh, Tom, I don't know. This is, I don't know if it's on the spot or anything like that or it's off the top of my head. Is there any... Um, storyline or character that you thought, I don't know if this is going to work, possibly, or something that surprised you in one way or the other? Uh, probably the, uh, the, the the thing that most comes to mind um, is the is the return of Bucky. Yeah. Uh, you know, and, and uh, you know, uh, uh, before I edited Captain America, uh, there had been a previous uh, editorial team and creative team on Captain America, uh, and there was a certain point at which uh, they, there was a story they were going to do. They wanted to do where Cap uh, became president, uh, mm-hmm. and and uh, you know, folks up at Marvel kind of went, "No, nah, that's that's too far afield from the real world. Uh, that doesn't really work." Um, and so they were suddenly in this situation where the thing that they thought that they were going to be doing, they weren't going to do, uh, and and they came back around with different options. And one of the ones that they were pushing for very hard was, "We'll we'll bring back Bucky. Like we'll find him in some hospital or whatever." And We'll do this story, and I was dead set against it. Uh, I was I was a large arguer that this was a mistake and a bad idea, uh, and I can remember there was uh, we were waiting for some uh, meeting, some some uh, editorial meeting, and Joe Casada, who at the time was the editor in chief, uh, and I were in this this room, and we were talking about this uh, you know this this story and this possibility, um, and as we talked. Uh, we got louder and louder and louder until we were just yelling at one another, not angrily, but because we were both very impassioned about our particular points. Uh, and that story didn't end up happening, that uh, wiser heads prevailed and they didn't do that. They did something else and wrapped up the run. Uh, and then so Cap eventually came over to me and, uh, you know, we talked to Ed Brubaker about writing Cap. And the thing he wanted to do was bring back Bucky. And I kind of went and Joe was was like... <laughs> Joe was like gleeful as he came down to tell me, oh, Ed wants to bring back Bucky. Not uh, again. Because he, he <laughs> this, 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 these arguments were not that old at that point. Mm. Uh, and so, you know, I talked to Ed and I said, Ed, you know, I, I have a bunch of, I got a bunch of issues with this, uh, you know, and I ended up writing him like an email that had something like 14 or 15 different points on it. Things like, okay, if he's alive, how is he not? an old man. Why do we, why do we care? Oof. You know, what's, where, where's he been all this time? And, and why is that interesting? How is any of this better? What, what do we get out of this? That's more than, uh, you know, the, 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 the tragedy of Cap having lost his, his brother, you know, at the end of the war, you know, what's additive about all of this stuff. Uh, and you know, I, so I, I laid all this stuff out for Ed and Ed went away and about a week or two later, he came back, uh, and he answered all of the questions. Yeah. And I said, well, then I guess I guess we're doing the story. Then <laughs> you've got good answers for all of them, uh, you know. And we did the Winter Soldier thing. Uh, and I remember the the issue that revealed that the Winter Soldier was Bucky was six. And right before it was about to come out, Ed called me up and 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 said, "Do you think we made a mistake?" <laughs> oh God, was he being serious? <laughs> he was. It, oh, well, it, just in that just in that second, he had a moment, you know, like a moment of doubt, like this is okay. about to drop and. 
And, you know, if there's any blowback or people are upset about it or whatnot, he's about to be in the middle of that thresher. Mm. Uh, and so I think he just stared into it and was like, oh, did, was this a mistake? Um, but it worked out all right, obviously. And, you know, clearly people like that, like the stories that, that Ed and Steve Epting and everybody did. Uh, and then, uh, you know, Marvel Studios took them and, and uh, you know, made a whole bunch of good stuff out of it. So, Well, there were things, you know, moments like that that I would assume brought people in or got people first interested in comics. And, and for me, part of that was, like we said, Civil War got mm-hmm. me back in. And because I had gotten out in the early or so 90s, too many titles, too many crossovers. The cost kept going up of right. the issues that, that, you know, and the artists were changing and I wasn't comfortable. What You know, so I tapered down and stuff. But and that one clerk was just a pain in the ass. Another the thing, yeah, no, I really, I did okay with them, um, <laughs> whoever they were, but and in, in helping develop my comic uh, history. But uh, the assassination of Captain America was another thing that got yep. you know mainstream media headline type type thing. Yeah, um, we were the front page of the Daily News. Yeah, I've, I've got that. I've, I've kept That's that. So cool. That uh, that page. I'm guessing that was maybe I don't know uh, maybe second guessed or not. So you know what we're gonna we're gonna kill Cap. Um, and that's going to do, do, you know, we're going to turn into this. Uh, you know, that may have been a thought process as well. But just even stepping back when you said Captain America as president, I, for, I don't know if you said how recent that thought came came about because all I thought of was, and I think it was issue 250 when it had that button cap. Oh, for, yeah. Oh, for, yeah. And I don't know if, it, if there was another uh, storyline about that happening. Yeah, this conversation was much later, although it was before, okay. uh, you know, they, they ended up doing uh, a similar story in the Ultimate Universe. Uh, later okay. on, where Cap became president, because it wasn't it wasn't a what if story, no. I don't think, right? No, no. okay, because I had both of those runs, and I don't remember seeing any cover title saying what if Captain there, America there, became president. There was a what if it was twenty six. Oh, it, okay, yeah, okay. they did a what if based that on that is, on that two fifty. I love that cover. Okay. Now, and uh, by the way, since we're on the topic of Captain America, we'd be remiss if we don't talk about one of the main architects of Captain America over the past thirty something years, Mark Gruenwald. Sure. And you worked there at Marvel at the time when he was there. Yes. What was it like working alongside him? Um, the, when people think about, uh, you know, the Marvel bullpen, uh, you know, and the impression that you get as to what the offices are like or what things are, uh, uh, you know, all of that's uh, fantasy. All that's made up. The Marvel offices are a bunch of offices. Yeah. Um, you know, we've got some very creative people in them, uh, and and uh, you know, but really, they're not. You know the, the the sort of banana shenanigans that that Stan or whomever would write about in the bullpen bulletins. Bananigans. Um, except for Mark Grunwald. Uh Mark uh, uh, was very much the Marvel that you read about in the bullpen bulletins, uh, and uh, you know both. Uh, you know, on the one hand, uh, he was he was uh, very focused on and devoted to, possibly too much so. Uh, quantifying everything about the Marvel Universe and its characters and the continuity therein and so forth. He was very dedicated to that proposition. On the other hand, uh, you know, he was a goofball who would fill his office up with uh, crumpled up copies of new universe comics, you know, to the point where it was, you know, waist high, uh, you know, and, and uh, you know, would do ridiculous uh, stunts. Every year there was, a, there was a Halloween party that he and... Uh, Tom DeFalco uh, 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 underwrote, uh, and he'd do ridiculous games and 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 things, um, you know. So he was very much, uh, uh, you know, a, a a character out of the 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 myth of the Marvel bullpen. Um, you know, when I liken him to people, the 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 person that comes to my mind the most, and 
you know, I, I say this so people kind of get it. He kind of had a certain amount of Jim Henson to him Ooh. in that, you know, he was like a sensitive cat, but very imaginative and very playful and a little bit chaotic and a little crazy um, and a, a very unique individual. And just, again, there's just something about his era of Captain America. And also, not many people talk about it, but it's like it's slowly been acknowledged. That Squadron Supreme run Mm -hmm. is just phenomenal to the point where when he passed away, he was cremated and part of his ashes were in the first printing of that. I did that. That was you? Yeah. I I put that book together. And in fact, uh, and this is only slightly a little creepy. (laughs) Um, you know, we got the, you know, we got the ashes and it was in this, this plastic box that, that was labeled temporary container, which Mark would have found very funny. (laughs) Uh, And and my assistant at the time, Glenn Greenberg, stuck a photo of Mark on the, on the side of the box. Uh, And I still have that, that box is still in my office on the corner of my desk. So that Mark is, there's still a little bit of Mark in and around the Marvel uh, universe, mm-hmm. even to this day. Okay. It's tremendous. Yeah, yeah. No, that's, it's, it's, it's an homage. It's sentimental. It's a tribute. It's, yeah, it's all, it's all good. <laughs> sure. And again, like if, if uh, listeners out there, if you have Marvel Unlimited, definitely check that run out or track it down at your local comic shop, back issue bin, whatever. It's, it's on par with Watchmen as like one of the most like important deconstructions of the superhero genre. So. Yeah. It, again, it's a very, it's, it's, uh, it, it's doing the same kind of thing that Watchmen does, but doing it differently. Yeah. Now, I, I, I assume you can't give a, a solid answer for this, but what should we, uh, anything in particular that you think we should be looking out for? Any character, any, um, well, obvi- without giving anything away. but Obviously, and it's not like we're hiding it because it's on the cover of that catalog, but we think that Empire is maybe going to be something of a big deal. Um, yeah, maybe. You know, uh, beyond that, there's a uh, there's a big X Men story coming up. There's a big Venom story coming up. Uh, I'm trying to think of what else. There's a big thing that that that's what that free comic book day story that I'm working on now is is uh, in preparation for at the end of the year. Um, but really, it's you know, like with so many things, it depends on like what characters or or creators or storylines you're into. Hopefully, you know, in that that enormous hundred-page uh, magazine, there's something for all tastes, uh, you know, that we're putting out every month. Well, again, if you hadn't heard it, folks, it's Avengers Fantastic Four Empire, as in E M P Y R E, and there's a number one, and it looks like Empire is fragmenting in its its, its letters, like uh, you know, like Avengers uh, Endgame or Infinity War did. Yeah. I'm noticing that um, A in the uh, logo kind of has a little bit of a blue four in there. Yeah, that, the A and the I'm four, wondering. that was actually, uh, yeah, yeah. That was actually a, a Joe Quesada uh, invention. Like, he came up with the combined A and four. That's uh, a, that's a neat combo, new, a new logo kind of thing, yeah. Yeah. Which I didn't pay too strict attention to. I kind of saw the A, and it's like, oh, two, oh, whoa, yeah, it is. Look at that. Okay. But then on the bottom, it says, the enemy of my enemy, dot, dot, dot. I was going to say, is my friend. That's usually how that <laughs> phrase goes, I think. Isn't that is that about well, is that about you'll what have you, to you'll have to read the I know, know but that, previously that's, that's my incarn that's my inclination. They want to is. know about the expression. That's <laughs> <laughs> all about the yeah. But one of the things I also really enjoy about when solicitations come out and you hear like a new title gets announced, if it's a little bit for me like it's kind of like a stock market kind of thing where you're like speculating what what's going to happen next because it ties in partially to the movies and you see like oh a slapstick series just happened. Wait a minute, is he coming in the movie soon? <laughs> and it, it's one of those, you're just like, I'm not sure. Like, I know when Moon Knight was, uh, you know, coming back, I think it was the Jeff Lemire run, that was around the time of Iron Fist, 
and you know rumor at the time was Mooney was going to show up in there right. and then they ended up pulling him out of that but then we got some killer Moon Knight runs as a result of that so I'm not complaining <laughs> but just it's it's kind of interesting to see that where the you see on the cover of Empire someone I haven't seen in a long time Hulkling and I'm just like huh WandaVision's happening <laughs> Hmm. Well, Hulkling's a big character in, in Empire is. for sure. Uh, you know, uh, if people happen to see the the end of Incoming, the book we put out the last week in December, he's in a new position in a new role, and that'll be a big part of this. Uh, in terms of what you're talking about, though, um, you know, obviously there's always going to be uh, a connection and a, a, like a magnetic pull between uh, what we do in publishing and what studios does in film and now television. But, you know, whether, whether you know, we're whole hog uh, on it or whether we're not doing it at all, people are going to draw connections anyway. Mm-hmm. I, that's the so, thing so about it, this. So it, it, it kind of like, you know, there's, there's uh, you know, in each instance, it's its own instance. You know, the, our, our, our remit, our mandate in publishing is basically go out, uh, you know, chart, chart the future, be the scouts, do the stories that five, you know, years or ten years from now, however long it is, uh, Marvel Studios will then mine for whatever they're doing because the difference, you know, I've described this to a bunch of people, the difference between what they do and what I do is that uh, they do maybe one Captain America story every two years and I do at least two every month. Yeah. So, you know, we're generating a lot more story material and not all of it's going to be the most brilliant thing in the world, but if you're Marvel Studios, you know, you suddenly have a whole pile of raw material to draw from and to pick out whatever bits you think will, you know, will best uh, serve where you are in your own particular stories and what the next cycle of stories, uh, you know, will be in the films and now in the streaming TV uh, and so forth. And that's why, like, when I see Jonathan Hickman start his uh, X-Men stuff and I see the House of X and Powers of X event and I'm just thinking to myself... Are, are we seeing how we're going to see the X-Men incorporated in the MCU, kind of? Because almost his entire, like, his epic with the Avengers was, mm-hmm. like, elements were picked and choose, picked and choose. I'm just like, oh, my God. Wait. It's chosen. It's not choosed. Well, that too. But okay. just that element, it's it's kind of cool to see. You know, we don't know what the future holds with this. And that's, again, that's the cool thing about the magic of Marvel, you sure. know, where we don't know what's going to happen next. But it, I think I'm you said X-Men Incorporated. That sounds like a new comic book title. <laughs> I like that. I you you all you know, right? Well, give him a quarter, something <laughs> like that. I don't know. As in a no twenty-five quarter asked, no quarter given. Oh, Chris Claremont. Yeah. I, I just want to ask too, and then I'm looking at the cover again of the previews. We have Reed Richards with facial hair. It's not the first time I think we've seen him in in a previous perhaps storyline, but is it of more recent time that he's now being since, portrayed that way? Uh, since the uh, since we brought him back, since the book came back, issue one, uh, you know, Reed's had his beard, mm-hmm. uh, and how long will he keep it? I don't know. But he's had it now for I'm going to have than... to change up my cosplay of Reed Richards now and grow yep. some facial hair. Yep. Yep. One, okay. of my fa- one of my favorite things, and I will continue to bring this up, I helped modify Eddie's uh, Mr. Fantastic costume oh, yeah. by telling him, Eddie, you should grab a blue pool noodle and make it as your arm. Put a glove on <laughs> It works. And, you know, I realized, too, in, a, in another posting of another Reed Richards cosplayer who does the Peter J. Peter. Oh, Peter. Uh, Co-fit cosplay. Yes. And I, and, really I real- and I realized looking through my photos on my phone, I'm like, Oh, I know who that is. In in a later, you know, doing the Parker thing, he's he's doing a Reed Richards with his other hand as a uh, mallet, an oversized <laughs> mallet. I'm like, whoa! I got to talk to him. And you know, as someone, you know, you've been to things like New York Comic Con, C two E two, 
on the topic of cosplay, you've seen some probably incredible cosplays. Like, what are some of your favorites? Oof. And deep cuts, <laughs> by the way. I love deep cut cosplay. So... Um, Again, yeah, it's 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 difficult to say. Like like things don't immediately come to mind because you go yeah. to any convention and you see dozens of pretty spectacular, uh, uh, you know, cosplayers who who really go all out. Yeah, they do. Um, you know, the, there was a guy I ran into on the street at New York Comic Con last year who who was decked out in a full uh, Captain America uh, with the motorcycle. He was driving down That's, uh, the, Colorado Cap. Yeah, I, that dude's so awesome. That's excellent. So, so uh, you know, again, he was memorable just because, for one thing, he was outside of the the the, the venue. So, and he had the music, the theme song playing mm-hmm. on like a stereo. It was Perfect. amazing. Oh yeah, yeah. There's another one that comes to mind too, but he's the Colorado captain. That's that's the one. It's the same one. Yeah. I don't I don't know. <laughs> he's I, got a room I don't. I've seen more than one, <laughs> maybe. But uh, okay. Now, I mean, in regards to like myself with seeing cosplays, I love. Uh, Somebody did a Doctor Doom cosplay where it's Battle Ravage from Secret Wars. Okay. And it's like just the cut-ups and everything. I'm just like, damn. <laughs> and yeah. like, And I've also, I've been going to a lot of cons and when I go, I see it. If I, if I ever see a Cyclops, I always ask them to take a photo and go, on three, one, two, three, Gene! <laughs> and it's it's fun to see when they don't get it. But every Doctor Doom cosplayer on the flip side, I've had them do one, two, three, Richards. <laughs> so, but... They get it. That's yeah. the end of that story. The point of that story is I like stories. <laughs> and again, we love the stories that have been coming out. It's tough to keep on top and and try to do that. Although I must say, I am all caught up with my Immortal Hulk run. I am not to I'm the very to current issue. Yes, right. and even that one shot with great power. I got to read that still. Or great power. Yeah. What what is it's it? Fun. Come, it's what good. Does it come with Eddie. Com- comes. It comes with an oversized uh, Bruce Banner in a in a Spider Man ripped up costume. What about the great power and the responsibility? That's, they go together. Jeez, yes. Eddie, swing and a miss, <laughs> thwip and a miss. I like that. Now, also in regards to a lot of the stories going on, what are some? Of, what is your favorite story that you've been able to you know be involved with the editing process? Where afterwards you you know might have read it and you know on the stands or you know the final copy. Um. Well, again, I I. Any book I put out, if I don't like it, uh, you know, it's a it's a failure whether or not it uh, sells well or, or not. Gotcha. Uh, you know, whether I can stare it in the in in the face. Um, you know, uh, historically, uh, I've got two runs now. It used to be one run, now two runs that I would point to as like, oh, those are my best runs or favorite runs uh, of the year. The the first was uh, the Mark Wade, Mike Waringo, Fantastic Four run back in mm. the early two thousands. I did all of those. Uh, and I love those. Uh, and then of more recent vintage, the Dan Slott, Mike Allred, Silver Surfer. When um, I remember when I met Dan Slott at Comic-Con this past year, you know, it was like 17 years in the making pretty much because every time I try and meet him, it never happens. <laughs> but when I saw That's him... That's the I, way it works with his scripts too. <laughs> oh. But funniest thing is I asked him if he would do the show and he goes, yeah, if I do a, sh- a podcast, my editors are going to get mad at me that I'm, you know, doing this and not writing my books. <laughs> so I'm like, I understand. Sounds like he's being a Mark Ruffalo in a sense of spoiling things. <laughs> Just a little. But a little, okay. But in regards to that, you know, I made the comment, his uh, his letter in his final issue of Spider-Man, mm-hmm. he's such a Doctor Who fan. And yep. I love that about him. I love the, do- I love, I almost said the Doctor Surfer. The Silver Surfer run is pretty much Doctor Who. You know, you have the companion, mm-hmm. you have the surfboard as the TARDIS. And then you have Surfer as the doctor. And I remember when I talked to him about his farewell letter, 
he did a Doctor Who regeneration as his letter where I'm just like, <laughs> it made me sad reading that. And it's very rare when like something like that will shed a tear from a glass eye, but it happened. And just, you know, reading that where his farewell, that's again, that's that. That's because you like stories. I do. I'm like, I'm like where can we? I know we're going to ask you at the end of this, of course, Tom, where we can find you. But in a different where we can find you, where will you be uh, seen uh, coming up? Are you attending any any shows, cons this year? Next next show for me is C2E2 at mm-hmm. the end of the month. So I'll be in Chicago in the uh, uh, last couple of days of February and I guess first day of March. That's a con that's on my bucket list. I've wanted to go to that for a long time. This area, have you been to? Maybe I've met you there uh, in some other uh, capacity. I'm, I'm trying to think whether it was East Coast. Um, yeah, or, I've, not, or I've not done East Coast terrific yet. Terrific con. Um, you know, I've done, you know, New York uh, mm-hmm. a bunch of times because it's right here. Yep. Um, in the area, that's really about, about it. You mm-hmm. know, uh, I would do Baltimore a lot, uh, although I haven't been as regular the last couple of years because the trip down is just getting harder. Mm. Um, apart from that, you know, I did San Diego a couple of years ago last time. I'm harder to find. I didn't do a single show last year, so I'm, I'm more difficult to find in person now than I was. And that's either preference or, as time permits, that kind of thing, it's, I would assume, right? Yeah, it's, it's a little of both. You know, mm-hmm. with most shows, I go because Marvel sends me to a show, that there's something to be done there, either to promote or business to be taken care of and so forth. So C2E2, I'm going out because we're promoting Empire and there are going to be graders there and so forth. And so I'm, I'm going to, to that. So if you're promoting, then you're definitely at a table or uh, at a panel, let's yeah, say. Yeah, I'm, I'm at a lot of panels and I'm, you know, talking to creators and walking about and, okay. and so forth. Last year I was at uh, D23. That was the show I ended really? up going to because we did the, uh, you know, we had the Marvel 80th and we did a big Marvel mm. 80th panel to, to talk about the history of Marvel uh, for 80 minutes. Uh, and I think a bunch of that panel is on YouTube. You can find it. How much that reminded me of uh, Marvel One Thousand? How um, Which how is, much time? How many months? Idiot. How far in advance was all that coming together? What did you say? That was Marvel One Thousand. Yeah, that was Marvel Eighty. <laughs> oh, I didn't say. I I said One Thousand. Thank you, Mister yeah. Tyson. Yeah, sorry about the lisp. Yeah, if I'm re- if I'm remembering right, we started around January. Mm-hmm. So and it came out in in August. So you know, eight months between when we began and uh, you know when there was a book in your local store, which might remind me of what what have been your huge undertakings, and that must have been one of them. Yeah, that was that was a particular and a, a unique individual challenge. Mm-hmm. I have to ask: Do you have the coin? Oh yeah, not only do I have the coin, I I paid uh, myself and CB. We made the coin. Really? Yeah, we wow. we paid to get those done and sent them out to everybody. I love those coins. Like I wish I had one, but. I don't. I would have. I would have brought the one here to to, to show off to you. If one, I, if I'd known about it, <laughs> eh, I wouldn't have necessarily given it. These are well, very exclusive, true. but I would have shown it with limited but amount. I mean, how many were? Well, literally, it was for anybody that contributed to a thousand and you know a thousand and one. So, oh, well, okay. so really, there's only uh, you know uh, uh, two hundred of them, maybe. Mm-hmm. Okay. When we talked to Al Ewing about the Marvel One Thousand, one of the things I noticed about it was. You guys were incorporating so many different elements of the history of Marvel. Yeah. And seeing Star Wars inside there in 77, I'm just like, mm-hmm. that was the one where my jaw actually dropped because I'm like, <laughs> oh my God, they actually acknowledged that. And then you see Miracle Man in there yeah. with Neil Gaiman yeah. and just. Yeah, those, those, uh, you yeah, know, the, the, the stuff with our partners, Conan and, and like you say, Star Wars with, with Lucas and uh, uh, Miracle Man were the, you know, the trickiest bits to, to get in at the very end. But it was nice to be able to include everything. And, uh, you know, to have that wide net. And you just mentioned Conan. 
I'm gonna I'm gonna do one of those little on the spot ones. How come Conan is not on Marvel Unlimited yet? I'm still surprised. I'm sure that has to have something to do with the deal. Yeah, um, you know, again, as a, as a as a licensed thing, is I assume the Star Wars books are on Unlimited. They, yeah, they absolutely. So are. again, it could just be a fluke. I I, I honestly don't know because I remember the, like I remember when. Conan number one came out in the six month span. It was on there for a week and then they pulled it right off. And mm. it was like, nothing's happened since. And they said, 2019, it'll be the year of Conan on Marvel Unlimited. Right. Narrator, it was not. But <laughs> it was one of those, I was excited because I want to read the Roy Thomas runs. I yeah. want to read the uh, 1990. Like, when I see a series go a long time, I kind of like seeing the 90s runs of those characters mm-hmm. because it can be the cheese element, but it can also be just. There's untapped potential of qu- like great quality that we don't know is there, mm-hmm. and I want to see that with Conan, like in '90s Conan. Well, I'll uh, you know again, I don't know off the top of my head. Uh, I'm sure eventually that material will get there. I don't know what the hangup might yes. be, but uh, uh, you know. I could say I would look into it, but I'm not going to remember this on Tuesday. So that's uh, all good. Yeah, yeah. I'd, I'd be lying to you. Well, when a Conan came up, I thought of, oh yeah, Conan in the O'Brien. I, <laughs> no, no, and I thought of uh, oh Savage Avengers, which I've you know just seen. I haven't purchased or anything. Yeah. And then I thought, well, geez, maybe you know because he's in a modern. I'm thinking time, and I thought, oh, well, there was an old what if story. Mm-hmm. What if Conan was living in our times, which I guess would have been the late 70s or so. Yeah. It's the first run of first run of uh, what if. Yeah. So I'm guessing maybe. The Savage Avenger idea came sort of somewhat from way back then. Kind I don't of, know. Kind of, um, yeah. And where does that take us to um, in one ear and out the other? That was that thought. Okay. <laughs> so, <laughs> he likes stories too. Yeah, yeah. No, no. There was there was another like thread that was tying in, in there as well. But, but uh, and it didn't go to where you were going with it, you know, being unlimited and so on. And in regards to comics with the different varying platforms, which do you prefer? Are you a physical comics guy or a digital comics guy? I'm I'm still mostly a physical comics mm. guy. I you know, I still go to Midtown Comics once a week and pick up books. How close uh, are you to your one hundred and twenty five dollar reward, by the way? <laughs> 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 Only a few people will get that reference and the ones that do, we love you. <laughs> and I'm not one of them, but I assume it's a, it's a it's a compiling thing, yeah. And just again, seeing all these different elements of like how you can consume the comics. It's insane. Like I'm, I'm a diehard proponent of Marvel unlimited mm-hmm. because yep. of yep. how much you can get on there. Sure. And it's a great service. It's fantastic. But I'm curious to see what the future could bring with comics. Are we going to get aerosol comics next where you just spray it and you can, you know, <laughs> consume the comic that way. We don't know. Well, if it, if it can be done, we'll, we'll do it. <laughs> I would hope so. <laughs> that's, that's, that's really out there. Okay. Well, Aerosol. Then you'll have to, yes. Then you'll have the uh, you know, environmental folks involved. Like no, no, no. That's that's not good for the environment. <laughs> well, well. If it's a Kittle Smith comic, it'll be great. It, do we have his word? I'll, I'll is, text is he him. a trickster like his writing character Loki or something like that? I don't know. Mm. Now, also in regards to events like incoming, were you you were involved with the editing of that? right? Yeah, I, I put I put incoming together. What is the procedure like of editing a big event where you have to have so many titles involved or like Civil War for example like where you have all the tie-ins which Civil War is a good story but when you add every single tie-in it it makes it flow so much better mm-hmm. and just yeah <laughs> well uh, obviously it's a, it's a lot to wrangle um, for the most part uh, at Marvel we try to make uh, involvement a voluntary thing like we don't I don't like to force people to be involved in a story they don't want to be involved in because you don't get good comics that way. Um, so, you know, at a certain point, you've got 
all right, here's here's uh, Empire. Here's what the story is. You know, I put together like a a, a a basic outline of everything, a beat sheet, and we send it around to the various editors who share it with their creators and go, hey, this is happening from here to here, and these characters are involved, and, you know, is there a story you'd want to tell in the pages of your book that would be relevant to this um, and, uh, you know, might get more eyeballs on it and so forth, and people come back with their their ideas and their pitches and anything that's good gets incorporated anything that's not good doesn't uh hopefully um and uh, uh you know then you just try to coordinate it all as you're you know getting the story finished and the books out the door um but it's definitely uh uh you know the more people you've got the more difficult it is uh to coordinate and i have a lot of uh, spreadsheets and documents and things that i have to refer to constantly god bless excel and google documents that's all we can say <laughs> But in regards to also, you know, you have like the certain titles, like a Squirrel Girl, for example, which it's in its own little world where it can, you know, do its own thing, doesn't need the tie-ins or anything. They may not be involved. I think the closest thing to a crossover was the Howard the Duck one. No, well, they did they did tie-ins to War of the Realms. They did three. Did they? Yeah, they did three issues of War of the Realms on in Squirrel Girl. All right, I didn't know that one. But it was in Canada, so it's understandable oh. that people didn't realize. But, uh, but America's but, hat. Hey. But uh, she fought. She fought Frost Giants in Canada. It was very important, and it was a piece of, of War of the Realms. And also, just yeah. I, I again, I I love the element of how much it can tie into each other, though. Like that, that like cohesiveness and yeah. Although yeah, you know, that that's that's you know one of the tricks of the Marvel Universe is the idea that all of these stories are individual stories of individual characters, but they all exist in the same space and they can all interact or bump into one another or or have stuff go on with one another over the course of you know weeks and months and and years, and that's interesting. And the, there can be moments where it's like a very very loose tie-in, like it's very subtle. Like mm -hmm. I remember during uh, the Jerry Dugan run of uh, Deadpool the tie-in to Original Sin, where it was just a one-two-three thing, and they it wasn't much of a tie-in, but it was one, you know? Right, right. So This could come up with a new run of Marvel team-up and stuff like that, jeez. <laughs> the way any, you know, other characters can run into each other haphazardly or whatever, sure. Who is a character you would love to see make their return to the Marvel fold? See, that, that, that's an unfair question, <laughs> in, in, in a sense, because... Just say Howard the Duck. <laughs> <laughs> well, again, really, you know, because the, the answer is I can I can do any of that. Yeah, <laughs> so that if, is true. If I want, you know, whatever, 3D Man to come back, I just make a 3D Man story and, and that's it. Like, I don't have the same uh, uh, limitation that, that most other people do, um, yeah, at least in that regard. So if there's something that, that catches my, my, my eye, uh, Kurt Busiek and I were talking, and I'm not going to name the characters, but we were talking earlier name, name. In, the, in the week about obscure... Uh, Marvel characters that uh, might show up in his new series, um, you know, who haven't been seen in a long, long time, uh, and that nobody will remember except us. But come on, fight man! <laughs> come on, fight man! But they'll, you know, they'll, they'll, uh, they'll, they'll be there because there's a there's a story use for them and, and an opportunity, and we remember them, so we'll use them. There's a lot more to come, I think, too, and we could keep going, but we do appreciate the time. And I think in the course of this speaking to you, Tom, realize why you didn't have, a, except for the weekend, time to talk to us. So we appreciate <laughs> it again. Uh, well, uh, happy to be here. My pleasure. Now, how can people get a hold of you on social media? If you want them to. <laughs> right. Well, uh, I'm, I'm on Twitter as at, at Tom Brevoort. Uh, I'm on Facebook. Uh, I've got my uh, my blog page or master page, the Tom Brevoort Experience. 
uh, which uh, you know is where I post stuff about old comics I've read and uh, things of that nature. Um, I've got an Instagram account. I don't remember what the hell it is, so uh, you know it doesn't get used that much every once in a while. I was going to say, how much time do you wind up spending on you know doing the social media thing if you can? Uh, well, uh, you know, I, it's uh, it's a long train ride from here to Manhattan. Ah, okay, I know that train ride all too well. So uh, you know, I, I can I can do a lot of things in that time. Excellent, good to know, Tom Brevoor. Thank you again so much for talking to us. We sure do appreciate thanks. it. So for The Marvelist, I'm Peter Melnick. I'm Tom Brevoort. And I'm Eddie Wilson. Excelsior! Return with us now, if you dare, to another edition of Obsessed with Marvel, featuring our very special guest, Tom Brevoort who will probably know all the answers. But we usually go three or four questions and call it quits because that's about our streak. We don't we don't get more than that <laughs> consecutively right. So hopefully you, remember, though, for the future. And you can hear my terrible uh, reasoning behind a que- an answer, and then it sometimes, turns out I'm wrong. Yeah, well, sometimes some you, you wind up going the other way, and you know, oh, I should have stuck with my gut. Okay, question number 1,597, which reads... Armbar. Richards. Oh. Sorry. Who starred in the backup series in the original Rampaging Hulk... From 1977 to 1978, it's listing, and I think I may know this. Bloodstone. Uh, <laughs> as, as every child knows, Bloodstone. Well, I think that's one of the answers. Uh, it's either A, Dominic Fortune, B, Howard the Duck, C, Moon Knight, or D, Ulysses. Is it Bloodstone? Bloodstone. There's, no, there's no E at the end. That's that's throwing me off here. Yeah. In the well, original there's, there's Rampaging a, a, Hulk. I didn't realize that there were multiple choice answers. Oh, yeah. I don't know that I'll need those. <laughs> it's all ABC. Oh, you went you wide-eyed just, for that one. You're just coming out blank and going, <laughs> okay, here we are. Now, original Rampaging Hulk, we're talking magazine size, Yeah, black, I think, black, right? Black and white magazine black and white from ma- the 70s. Shoot. Nine, and I started, nine issues. And I start nine issues because 10 was color, and that's where I started, actually, yeah. with 10. Went through 27. Took me a long time to get the first nine yep. and, uh, on my list of... Stuff to read. Doug Mensch wrote it, and Walt Simonson drew or did layouts for most of the, the at least the first portion of it. I know Sal Buscema did at least one in there. I think Jim Starlin did. But one. correct me if I'm wrong, because you know and he the, will. The, the, he will exactly. But Dominic Fortune, I think, was in this in some degree. Dominic Fortune showed up or started uh, uh, around 21. I want to say 21, Le- okay, 22, okay, uh, as a backup feature. He was also in Bizarre Adventures. Okay, I'm, uh, do, I'm remembering things that I've gotten autographed, and I'm seeing Dominic Fort. I think Howard Chaykin uh, did something with that. Yeah. So I got his autograph in some, and I remember on an issue of The Hulk, yeah. instead of Rampaging, that changed yeah, title, it, it, whatever. It, uh, when it went to color, it, uh, the backups were Moon Knight, starting with 10. Thank you, yes. I thought that and was... And then mm-hmm. that, that ran to about, I want to say 20, mm-hmm. uh, and then after that, with 21, uh, Dominic Fortune was the backup. All right, so we're all going to go with letter D. Yeah, he's my legal representative <laughs> right now. <laughs> You're you're obsessed with Marvel answer. Uh, so D, Ulysses Bloodstone. I'm, I'm the schmuck that was going to say Moon Knight. <laughs> okay, there, of course, because you're all Mooney and you're Looney for Mooney, and that's all there is to it. So okay, that's true. so we're gonna we're gonna kick ass right now. I think <laughs> we're on our way to doing that or getting it kicked. This was more like it. This is truly the just, road uh, to WrestleMania. Have myself read it and Tom answer, and that's that's all there is. 1769. That is the year. I mean, that's the question number. Who was not one of the X humed? Not as in, I don't think, dug up, but the letter X hyphen H-U-M-E-D. Stop that. The Living Diamond, Baron Heinrich Zemo, the Changeling, 
or Black Bishop. I don't it's think Zima. I have to repeat it. It's Zima. It's Zima. Of course it's Zima. Does everybody know it's Zima? Of course. How? Well, a child would know how about that. The, how about the story? What's the action? Start with uh, that. It was uh, it was a She-Hulk story that John Byrne did in his second run. Okay. Uh, and uh, it was, uh, uh, I'm blanking on that, the Black Talon, the, the voodoo guy. Uh, raised a bunch of dead mutants from the from the dead, including the Living Diamond and the other guys that are there. Baron Zemo, sadly, not a mutant, so he was not in that story. Uh, sadly, he just he just lied around. He he was it was yeah. You know, Liked wearing purple. Everybody else was coming back to life, but not poor old Zemo. And a little yellow accent. It was very sad. Mutanthood. It's not for everyone. Uh, <laughs> it's a T-shirt with that, I'm sure. All right. So who is not one of the exhumed from the She-Hulk run of John Byrne's second volume? Again, I got to catch up to that. B. Baron Heinrich Zemo. Wait, wait, Eddie, you didn't ask my answer. <laughs> we're just bypassing. That's just, you know, we're just defaulting here in a good way. So this will improve our 44% out of 100 rating, I think, or something oh, like that. Oh, God, are we really that? Uh, I didn't check recently, but that's that's what I do, do remember being. All right, let's that's go to rough. 1873 because that's what this thing is telling me. And otherwise we'll really be in trouble. We could just go through all the questions and it wouldn't matter what order we picked. Holy cow. Tom, how much time do you Never mind. Sorry, I got excited. Which future superhero is the villain in Daredevil number 62? Nighthawk. <laughs> oh, my God. Which is letter D, Nighthawk. The other choices, <laughs> if you decided, would be Stuntmaster, Moon Knight, The Punisher, and then again, D, Nighthawk. We actually did have this question, because I remember Moon oh, Knight no. was in there, and I got mad. I'm like, no, he was not in there. <laughs> well, and this is funny, because in this session of Obsessed with Marvel, we have two answers involving, which have Moon Knight. Yeah. So there's there's a there's a... I see a bad moon rising. All right, CCR. So it's uh, I guess it's Nighthawks. So let's just go D and I love that sound. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know what? We're going to go with a fabulous five. Okay. Or furious yeah. five even. I'm just all psyched we're getting all these, these things right. I'm not even hazarding a guess. Uh, actually, we should try guessing and Tom's going to no, no. <laughs> just and, a uh, glare of like, disappointment. Let, let, us, let us do that. Let's, let's go there first. So uh, Tom should close his ears. No, I'm kidding. Oh, no. <laughs> Nine hundred twenty. Cool in front of him, Eddie. <laughs> You're next to him. It's, there's a difference, and we'll get the photo op later. Um, question nine hundred twenty. Which form of energy gives Wonder Man his powers? I know this one. All right. Is it A electromagnetic, B ionic, C gamma, or D cosmic? I have my answer. I know what it is. What do you think it is? Say him again. Which form of energy? Well, we usually repeat it twice, so why not? Which form of energy gives Wonder Man his powers? Electromagnetic, ionic, gamma. Or cosmic. It couldn't be gamma. It couldn't be cosmic. I'm going with ionic. You got electromagnetic and ionic. Wait, no, he's a robot. So, well, part robot, isn't he? Oh. Oh. I'm disappointing him. <laughs> Your answer, please. <laughs> it sounded like a B in there. Uh, sure it did. I'm going to go with B, and Tom's going to say? It is ionic. Thank you so much. I think I've gotten one right. Yes, okay. Was that five? I'm just so having fun right now. <laughs> Oh man, I almost good thing I didn't. Come on, we'll like, take on another team here. Oh, take we got on Tom me. on our side. <laughs> Final question. You um, missed my aha. Uh take on me? Okay, fine. Mm-hmm. Nineteen eighty five best music video. Searching high and low. Eight, hunting. Yep. The album oh, is whatever. Hunting High and Low. What's the second song off of that album? Come on, let's go. MTV video? Oh no. The sun always well, shines, shines on, on TV. TV. <laughs> okay, I like fine. That song. Yeah, they also did a a, re, a cover version of Crying in the Rain. Okay. There's your aha All lesson the for today. Daylights. The, it's a Bond movie, I think, isn't it? And they did the theme song for that. It, okay, fine. All right, let's go. <laughs> 1838. What a year it was. Okay. 
for all the marbles. 1838. What other villain is known as the Fixer? Is it Mentalo's partner? If I'm saying that right. Is it Techno? Is it both A and B? Or the final choice, the assassin who killed Peter Parker's parents? That's both A and B. What other villain is known as the Fixer? Mentalo's partner, Techno, both A and B, or the assassin who killed Peter Parker's parents? You know, I found that with questions like this, and they say either none or all, it tends to be that answer. So I'm inclined right away when I saw this, both A and B. I'm fielding this to my representative. And why, well, why give us the Well, let's just do this. Okay, because I like hitting that right button. And so, <gasps> didn't I hit C? The answer is D, the assassin who killed Peter Parker's parents. The other villain is known as who's known as the fixer. No. Uh-oh, they the messed. book made an error. No. They they did have an error in there with a uh, Jack Kirby Fantastic Four. It was like, it was how many How many issues? issues? And I was like, no, it's 102. I swear right. to God. Right. I have to take a pen to this and put the right answer? <gasps> 1838C. Won't be in mint condition. No, no I'm going to have to write this on the side. Spearmint condition. Holy smokes. 18. So why would, why would it be then, let's just justify the other villain known as the Fixer, both Techno and Mentalo's partner? Well... Mentalo's partner was the fixer, and then when we did Thunderbolts, we put him into the guise of Techno to pretend to be a good guy hero while he was duping the public. Wow. I know, I know that's right, because I did that. <laughs> wow. The ma- I, I made that comic. <laughs> the magic of all of this is watching Eddie actually write a note that he will, in fact, put in here. He grabs this is a, a post-it waiting to happen. The answer is C. I don't care what the thing tells you, not D. Dim, dummy, dummy. Okay, let's just go with that. Holy cow. And that is an extra long version of Obsessed with Marvel. Again, Excelsior. And so forth.